Amen. <coughs> Amen. Hallelujah, what a Savior we worship this morning. Amen. Yeah? Amen. All right, there's 10 of you that are excited about that, but I am, I am going to think the absolute best about you. The rest of you are pretty excited about that too. Hallelujah, what a Savior we worship this morning. Amen. There we go. That, that's the harvest durum I know. Thank you. Listen, it is a great privilege to be with you and just even praying with the elders this morning and considering what it means for us to gather and to worship, and we're going to look at some of that this morning, but the, the reality that while you were sleeping, or trying to sleep last night, which may be the case for some of you, um, there have been members of our family all around the world that have been worshiping Christ together. And here in about another hour, they'll be worshiping Christ in Har Harvest Austin, uh, where I am blessed to be the pastor of. But right now, um, we have our place right here in Durham to worship Christ together, and He alone is worthy. And I love being able to come to places like this because I know it's a place that gets excited about Jesus Christ and that believes that our worship of Him is everything. That's who we were made to be, right? And I am thankful uh, to know your pastor, and I'm just telling you, if you don't know yet or if you're a guest this morning, um, you are very blessed to be able to have uh, Ian as your pastor. And I've told Lindsay, uh, if for some reason in the future I'm not a pastor anymore, I just want to go to Harvest Durham. Uh, so you may see me in the coming days, years ahead, um, but maybe not the winter. Maybe not the winter. I, I don't know if I can make that. Um, but the winter that's this morning has been awesome. I've loved it. Uh, Ian is such a blessing, uh, and as he told you some of our history, we go way back. But I'm just telling you, um, having friends that are just what Scripture calls iron sharpening iron, people that are challenging us to move forward and to continue to, to, to grow is a great gift from God. And uh, I hope that you have those kinds of people in your life. My dad used to tell me, hey, Brian, if you want to go play basketball, uh, you know, at the schoolyard and keep taking everybody to school in basketball, that's great. Uh, or you can go to the park and play with the big boys and get better. And we went cycling in the Muskokas uh, a few days ago, and I kind of was reminded a little bit of that principle as I rode behind Ian, and well, I don't know, about the 75th hill, I thought I was going to die, and I think he finally had gotten loosened up and stretched, and he was ready to go. But, you know, as, as I think about our ride, that is so much like our friendship of somebody that is constantly with me, running, pushing me, right? You, you want somebody that's challenging you, and you're continuing to move forward, forward, forward uh, with one another. So I thank you, brother, uh, for your constant challenge in my life, and I trust that even the people at Harvest Austin are blessed by that. Um, but I hope that you will continue to love on your pastor and his family. They are a great blessing, uh, and I trust you know that. So, 1967 was a big year. It was a really, really special year. A huge year, you might say. Uh, the year that the Mercury Cougar came out. First year of the Mercury Cougar. Uh, you know, it was 1964. The Mustang had come out, and... Uh, that was a great car, but when the Mercury Cougar came along, then you had air conditioning in it, and you had all these things that the Mustang didn't. It was the Cadillac of the Ford Mustang. Any of you own a Mercury Cougar back in the day? 
Y'all are looking like this. What does this have to do with anything? 1967 represents a whole lot more than that, mister. 1967 is a bigger year than the Mercury Cougar. 1967 was... It was what? Centennial. I don't even know what that means, but... Thank you! We have a Leafs fan! The Stanley Cup was here in Toronto because the Maple Leafs owned it and they were victorious that year. Any of you ready to see that happen again? Wow! I thought that I could like kind of connect that kind of celebration of what it would be like to celebrating the king a little bit, but you seem so unenthusiastic about the Maple Leafs winning a cup. It's been too long. Okay, well, here's the thing. Maybe you're not even a Maple Leafs fan, but as people that I trust understand sporting a little bit, you know that whenever somebody wins a Stanley Cup or wins an, uh, a championship of some sort, there's a trophy, but people don't really get excited about the trophy per se. It's about what the trophy represents, right? The trophy represents that you, your team has become victorious. And then it is very customary that we have a, a massive parade, right? And we're going we're gonna to bring all of the players and the coaches and we're going to set them on the back of convertibles and we're going to go through town and they're going to have the trophy and they're going to hoist it up and the people are going to come out from all over the place all the fans will gather into the street and everyone's going to scream and cheer and celebrate that our team has won the victory right we get that image in your head um, that just happened with the cleveland cavaliers but i have never found a cavaliers fan so i'm not even going to go there with you guys um, but they were pretty pumped. I saw it on TV. Hours before the plane landed, people were already out there waiting to see the arrival of the team. It's an exciting thing. But I want to tell you that no matter what victory your team, and maybe you're like, I'm not excited because I'm not a Maple Leafs fan. Well, you just picture your team and your sport, whatever that is. Maybe you don't like sports, whatever it is you're into. All of us celebrate something, but I want to encourage us this morning that as Christians, we are called to be people who celebrate the King unlike anything else in our lives. Because our King is indeed a victorious King. And He's worthy to be celebrated. He's worthy to be worshipped. And even as we gather right here this morning, yes, you may look, it looks kind of more like a cafeteria than anything else. You need to understand there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. We are actually a group of people who are gathering like a parade, and we are celebrating. Our King has won. Our King has won. We sing. We read Scripture. We pray. We preach. And all of it is to say our King is victorious. And I hope that regardless of whether you're a Leafs fan or not, you can get excited about that. And if not now, hopefully by the end of this message, because we're going to be in Psalm chapter 96. <coughs> Psalm 96 you can turn in your Bibles there, and as you turn in your copy of God's Word, I want to tell you that the, sorry, we got Bibles coming for. If you need a Bible, 
Uh, I believe in the Bible just like Ian, so we're going to be in it. You're going to want a copy of God's Word. Psalm 96. <coughs> um, in this psalm, as you turn there, I need to set the stage a little bit for you in the context of what's going on. Most of this psalm is quoted back in 1 Chronicles. And it's quoted in 1 Chronicles as something very important in Israel's history is happening. David has just become king, and David knows that one of the greatest things he can do is not only to um, bring the people back to have their own city, Jerusalem, but it's to go and to get the Ark of the Covenant where God's um, uh, indwelling presence was in that Ark. And to get that manifest presence of God in that ark and to bring it into the city so that the people of God could have their king. And so what's happening in 1 Chronicles is that King David actually sends out um, a bunch of people to go and get the ark. But it's interesting because it begins to list the people and what they're to do that he's sending. And it gives us a list of people that are to go and be singers. It gives us a list of, of people who are to play instruments. It even gives us the guy who's going to be the worship leader. Why? Because as they went out to go and get the Ark of the Covenant, Israel knew this is our king. He is a victorious king. He has provided the land for us. And as we bring him in, it was customary in that time, not just with Israel, but with many nations, that if your men went off to war and they were victorious, that then as they marched back in, the king would come in, the, the, the soldiers would come with them, everybody in the cities would come out and gather around the streets, come out of their homes to celebrate as the victorious men walked in with their king. They would be carrying the spoils of war with them because that was like a trophy. It was showing you we have won. But everybody knew if the king wins, we win. If the king wins, then we have won. So... David is sending out all the musicians because as they come in, they are to be singing, they are to be celebrating so that we're going to have this massive parade coming in because our king is coming in. He's coming home because he is victorious. And that's what's happening here, I believe, written by David coming from that time of uh, in 1 Chronicles. And what we're, I'm going to draw us to this morning what I hope you will find is a call for what it means to really celebrate the king and also some great reasons of why he's worthy of our celebration. So you ready to jump into Psalm 96? All right. Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So here in the first two verses, we get a bit of a pattern. And I believe it's the same in my English Bible as it is in your Canadian one. Sing, sing, sing. Right? It, yes? It's the same? Okay, good. So we're clearly talking about... Do you stump them a lot? Because they're very hesitant to answer. I won't trick you. I won't make you feel dumb. I promise. Whatever he's done, <laughs> we can work through that. I'm going to tee this up for you. Sing, sing, sing. What do you think he's talking about? 
They're very quick learners. I love it. Sing, sing, sing. Tell of his salvation from day to day. There's the content of what is to be sung about. It's the salvation that the people have. And listen, if you're a child of the king this morning, it is because you've been saved by Jesus Christ himself. The reason why our hearts overflow and rejoice with a desire to sing is because our king left his heavenly throne to come to a world to become a slave of man, to live a perfect life for you and for me, to then die in our place as if he was the sinner, not you, then to give you his perfect life as if you had lived it to then rise from the grave so he could prove himself victorious over sin, death, and the grave. That's what our king did. Now, I don't watch a ton of hockey, but when I do, I am a Leafs fan just because, you know, Ian has convinced me that that's the way to go. But I do know that in sports, it's easy as you're watching to, to think, oh, you're watching these professionals, but you were so close that final shot I could have even made, right? I, I, it didn't even have to be much of a slap shot. That was a, that was a peewee shot that I could, have, I could have hit that thing in. Some of you go back to your glory days and mentally as you're in your armchair, you're lacing up the skates and you're thinking about if you would have had the puck in the final seconds. We like to go and to think about what it would be like for us to help our teams out and be victorious whenever they may fall but there's something about what we're singing and celebrating that when we think about it, we realize there was a perfect salvation that came from God, but it was a victory that we tried to have on our own before him. We tried many different things in many different ways. We tried to have a purpose without him. We tried to find something to, to um, appeal, appease our conscience and the guilt and the weight and the shame of our sin. We tried to find ways to be made right with God. We tried to do a lot of things, and guess what? Every one of us came up every single time, defeated, 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 defeated. And there's something wonderful about our victorious king that when we stop and think about it, we're like, well, he's never missed a shot ever, but even if he did, I took a lot of shots, and I failed every single time. That's why I'm so into my victorious king, because he did it all for me. You're like, golly, do you always yell this much? Well, there's a lot of exclamation marks throughout this psalm, and I'm just trying to be faithful to the Scriptures. Is your salvation new and fresh to you this morning? Has it grown old? Have you forgotten where you were before you had the King come and rescue you? Because if that's the case, then right now, where you need to start is to remember where you were, remember who Christ is and what he's done for you, to be reminded of his love. Because this call to sing is very telling of that content of the salvation from day to day. No, I don't sing of the salvation of what once happened to me years ago. I sing of the salvation of when Christ rescued me and drew me to himself, and I sing of his salvation every day because daily I'm reminded that one second if he were to let go of me from his hand, I would be in the same place I used to be. But day after day after day, he holds on to me. He holds on to you, and therefore my salvation is as wonderful as it's ever been. In fact, it becomes richer and richer to me the more I understand what he's done 
And that's why when we back up into the first part of, in verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sure, there can be new songs with uh, some new lyrics or take an older song and change up the musical content a little bit. And, and that's true here, but it means more than that. It means more than just a new song. Oh, I've never heard that one before. Thanks, Mark. New song. The idea of a new song is that, yes, it may be a song you've sung a thousand times. You may sing Amazing Grace. You may know it and not need any words up on the screen. But when you sing it, it is new to you because His mercies are new to you every morning. Great is His faithfulness. His salvation never gets old to you. You see, for... It's great to have new songs. I love new songs, but we need to make sure that the songs that are true never get old to us. And every time we sing Amazing Grace, we're amazed by His grace. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord bless His name. There's not only a pattern of sing, 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 but you see we're going to sing to who? The Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, because He alone is the one who is worthy. And I know sometimes, at least for Texans, men in Texas, you know, singing, it's like, ah, oh, that could be a little awkward. Right? I sure don't want to be, you know, driving my truck down the road singing and someone look over and notice I was singing. You know, we, we have thoughts of singing more like um, musicals and stuff. You don't have to sing about anything else in the world and you don't have to have songs that you like to go sing, but I'm just telling you this. There's nothing more manly or more godly. There's nothing more womanly or godly than when the people of God sing out together to God, to the King. Our singing is for Him. And so you're like, man, you've never heard my voice. Well, you're right. And maybe it doesn't sound that great. Mine doesn't. I always tell our people this, but guess who gave it to you? The king. So you sing with what you got. And you say, Lord, just using what you gave me. <laughs> you want to change it? You want to give me a better one? You can. But you gave me this voice, and I'm going to sing to you with all I have. And I'm just telling you that when you gather together, I hope that you will give it everything because the king has given you a voice to celebrate all that he is and it's a sing to the lord sing to the lord sing to the lord because he is the point of it all and you can see here that everything is going completely vertical this is us taking our eyes our minds our hearts we are looking to our king who has saved us and we are singing to him and i like that it starts that way because the next part says, verse 3, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. <laughs> so when we just say we're to declare His glory, we're to declare His marvelous works, now we're talking about going to, it says, the nations and to all the peoples. Right? This, is, this is like some evangelism going on. We're to go out and we're to tell people of the glory of God. This glory we're declaring, I think it's talking about here, the character of God. It's, it's who He is. Whenever Moses was going up onto the mountain, he asked God, show me your glory. And, and God didn't come and put on some crazy light display. God could have done whatever He wanted. He said, I'll reveal my glory. And what He did was He actually spoke about who He is. 
He said, I'm a God, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's who he is. We're called to go out and declare that. Then it says, and we're also to declare his marvelous works. So first is this character. The second is who he is, like and what he, I'm sorry, what he does. It's his deeds. So we have a God who's great in character, and we're to declare that. But then we declare his marvelous works that our God's character actually translates into a God who is doing marvelous things for us. Here's what's interesting. Even if God had never done anything for you or I, he would still be worthy of all of our praise because he's still a God full of the character and the glory that he has. But what's wonderful is our God took his character and his glory and he brought it down to earth and he showed it in its greatest capacity on a cross. The greatest display of the glory of God, his love, his grace, his mercy, was on the cross. And that is a beautiful and wonderful truth for us to go and declare. But for you, I would imagine it's like many Christians and many at Harvest Austin where it's like, that's just so hard. I mean, I know. Ian's told us. Pastor Ian's told us so many times. Like, we're to go proclaim the truth. I mean, we're going through Acts, and when you read through Acts, it's pretty obvious that we're called to, to go and to tell and, and proclaim all these things about God. But, but man, you have no idea. It's just so hard. It's a struggle for me. It, it's not my personality. It's awkward. They ask me questions. I don't know the answers. <laughs> we can give a lot of different reasons, but what we'll find is our reasons for not doing it are normally very me-centered, very horizontal. I love how this psalm starts because what we find is you will never be very good at going and telling until you're first going vertical and overflowing in your own heart about who God is. I was reading an article about six weeks ago, and I came across some of the coolest earbuds I've ever seen. Did a little research on them and found these earbuds. They have no cable that connects, all Bluetooth. You can swim in them, do all kinds of things. I'll stop there because I start, I start to stumble just in my own temptation of wanting these things. Um, but they're incredible. I've been thinking to myself, you know, if I had a pair of those earbuds, my life would be just pretty amazing. It would change everything. I have found myself telling so many people about these dang earbuds. Like, I don't mean to, but I'm just talking, and, and they, they come to my mind again. I'm like, wow, dude, have you seen, have I told you about the earbuds? Ten times. I've told him ten times about these earbuds. But what's really interesting is, I didn't know I'd told him ten times, I haven't planned one of those. I didn't put it in my calendar to tell you. I didn't figure out, oh, where can I strategically work that in? Because he needs to know about these earbuds. You know what I found is I, I end up telling people, I walk away, I'm like, why, what, why did I tell them about the earbuds? What, that was dumb. That didn't even need to go there. What, they didn't need to know about that. You know why I tell them about the earbuds? Because I think they're pretty incredible. And so it just naturally comes out of my mouth that I tell people around me about these earbuds. Like, what, why are you telling us? Because what is true about some dumb earbuds is exponentially, infinitely actually more true about our king. 
the struggle that we have of going and telling others and like, well, I don't know how to work it in this situation. And, I, and I, you know, I'm trying to time when that'll happen. You know, the biggest problem we have is we're not first going vertical, that our hearts from day to day are telling of salvation, that we're overflowing from the inside out. That when we think about our King Jesus, we naturally just sing. We sing in the shower. We sing when we come together. We're singing with our children. We are overflowing with who this King is so that whenever we go about our normal routines, we just happen to find ourselves talking about the glory of the character and the marvelous deeds of our king because I just can't get my mind off of it. It's just amazing. It's just the outflow of my heart because it's what I'm so passionate about. Let me tell you, our king is so much greater than any set of earbuds that in a year from now are going to be lame technology. Our king is forever great, forever marvelous. Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among, above all gods. Well, that's interesting. <coughs> the Lord's great. I thought there was only one. Why, why all of a sudden are we talking about other gods? Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Here, the, the psalmist is writing this out and saying, listen, you need to fear God. You need to be blown away by who He is. And all these other little gods, they're actually worthless. See, in the original, it's not worthless idols. That's just being given there so we know what we're talking about. In the original language, you actually have a play on words here. You have verse 5, for all the gods, Elohim, of all the peoples are Elalim. And the reason the pun is being put there is to show you how ridiculous the idea of all other quote-unquote gods really are. So he's saying, yeah, you need to fear the one true God, not all these other little gods that are actually, you think they're gods, they sound like gods, they're actually worthless, invaluable, pointless things. And if we're honest with ourselves this past week alone, maybe even this morning, you have allowed some other things to creep into the place of the one true God. And you have allowed some little idols to come into your life. You've had some things like these dumb earbuds for me that you've thought to yourself, if I could just get this relationship fixed, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that balance in the bank account that I've, I've had my eyes on for so long, if I could just, if I could just, right, we all know how this pattern works. If I could just get married, then you get married. Like, man, if we could just have kids, and then you have kids. You're like, man, if we could just get the kids out <laughs> and have grandkids. Come on, you know. If your kids are in here, tell them, not us, not us. There's always that next thing that's going to make life so great, right? There's always that, that pinnacle that we're trying to climb and working so hard. If I could just get right there. And sometimes you never reach it, but the times that you have, You've always realized as soon as you get over that hill, there's another, there's another hill to climb. There's always something else. And we chase these worthless things, and the psalmist is saying, listen, you need to be reminded that all the relationships, all the things, the stuff, the feelings of this world, compared to God, they are worthless. Oh, let me remind you, all these things that can't do anything, all your, your little earbuds and everything else. Uh, let, let me tell you about the one who's to be feared. Um, verse 5, but the Lord made the heavens. Have you ever stopped and just looked at the, at the stars or the beautiful creation around here or when it begins to snow and it's just so gorgeous? Have you ever stopped and realized that the one who just spoke all of this into existence is actually your king you get to call father? 
You might, yeah, I've done that before. You know what? Some of us need to be doing it a lot more often because we need to be astounded and amazed by this king. This king who says, look, I know, I know, Lord, that my heart is prone to wonder and to want all these things and to search after and seek after all of these things. But right now I need to stop and I need to be reminded that those things can do nothing. Those people I'm longing for their approval can do nothing. You, O oh Lord, you made the heavens. You created all things. And for me to be obsessed in worshiping something you have created is absurd. Here's what you need to understand. Every single one of us have been created and made by God to be worshipers. Every person who has ever lived or ever will live, anyone sitting here, is a worshiper. The question is always, what are you worshiping? And the psalmist is saying, be reminded of all these things of who God is and the one who made it all, the real God, the one true God. Worship Him. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. When it says that splendor and beauty are before Him, the idea is like as you get closer to the sun, it actually begins to get hotter. It begins to get brighter because there is something that is radiating from it. It is saying the more that you and I get to know who God is, the more we draw near to the King, the more we find that what is emanating from Him is splendor and majesty. It is more marvelous. He's more marvelous to behold the closer that we get. It never gets boring. It never gets old. It captures the very affections of our hearts to worship. And then we come into His sanctuary where there is strength and there is beauty. Listen, I want to encourage you that when you come and you, you gather together on a Sunday morning to sing, you know, every single um, command here, every call to go and do something, none of them are in the singular. They're all in the plural because there's the idea that we're doing it together just like we are this morning. And I want to encourage you when you come to realize that we're not just playing some songs and not kind of singing together because, oh, I don't know, this History of Christianity and the history of the church is kind of what you do, so we do it here. No, no, no. You need to understand that when you gather together, when we come, Mark is actually leading all of you in a parade. We are walking in front of a parade as we sing. Even sometimes as the lost come in among you and the nations are actually here in your midst, they are to see that there is something unique going on because you're not just singing. There's something divine going on. You are leading the way as if the king is coming in this parade. And as you sing together, you sing in such a way that you're like, let me tell about what he, who he is. Let me tell you about his glory and his character. Let me tell you about his marvelous deeds. Let me tell you about his salvation. And we are singing as if we are walking into the city, as if we're walking through Durham and saying, the king is coming and let me tell you. The king is coming. You have no idea how awesome he is. The king is coming. The king is coming. I'm just telling you right now, some of this kind of singing and I, I'm not look, after I do those kinds of things, I don't look at anyone. So I'm just staring up at the back wall. If you get what this passage means, that will go away, I promise. Because no one is ever going to march in this king's parade with their arms crossed, kind of like, yeah, give or take, more or less. To be in the king's parade is the greatest honor that we could ever be given. 
and we should gather together and sing like it. Can we make an agreement that as you sing, not just this morning, but in the weeks to come, you'll treat it a little different and think about this? Anybody agree? Anybody agree with that? Will you do that for me? All right. Some of you wonder how many hours I normally preach back in Austin. <coughs> Ian said, I'm free to do whatever. We actually will move a little quicker through these next parts. That was the first section. <coughs> then you have two sections left, verses 7 through 10. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. <laughs> Verses 7-8. through eight, Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Just like we had sing, sing, sing. Now we're ascribing. What does that mean? It means to give. It says give to the Lord. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord, to the Lord glory that's due His name. Like, mm. So if it means give to the Lord, that's weird because I'm supposed to come and give to the Lord glory and strength. <laughs> it's like when we're coming, we're saying God is somehow short on glory this morning and you and I have a little bit of a surplus so we're gonna we're gonna give to him some glory so that he's full and then thankfully I've been pretty strong this week he's looking a little weak and so we're gonna give some of our strength to him how many of you would say like that actually sounds more blasphemous come on every hand should be up I know your pastor that's that's blasphemous so that can't be what it means here's here's what it means when we ascribe or when we give to the Lord something, that word ascribe, sometimes we can use to quote someone. So if I quote someone this morning, then at the end I could say, uh, and I'm going to ascribe that to, and then I tell you who that came from, right? Because that quote is not whose? It's not mine. That's not my quote. I didn't come up with it. I'm just telling you about it. That that line actually came from that guy, and I need to ascribe that it's from him. When we gather together in this parade, we're coming together, and we are, we are being reminded of this. Every last ounce of glory and good that has come out of you, everything that is changing as you grow into the image of Christ, everywhere that you're weak and you're finding strength, when we come together, we are reminding one another, that is not mine. Everywhere that I'm growing in Christ, it is all because of His glory. Everywhere that I have not stumbled and fallen this past week is because I've sought His face and His strength has upheld me. We gather together as people who are reminding one another, do not ascribe anything in your life to you. Do not ascribe anything in your life to your spouse or your family. Do not ascribe anything in your life to anyone other than the king because it is from him. And whenever you begin to take glory for yourself, you are plagiarizing from the king. You are taking what is his and making it yours, and that is a lie. Whenever you begin to feel strong and you think that it's you, 
You are lying to yourself and everyone around you. That is the strength of Christ. That's why Paul says that he rejoiced in his weakness because it was then that he found the strength of Jesus, right? It's his, it's his, and we come together and we're reminded of that. But here's the other good news. Not only should we be coming and making sure we strip ourselves of any of our own little glory story, but we should also be coming, and for some of you this morning, maybe you feel very weak. You're not trying to come and gloat and glory in who you are. You're not trying to exalt in your strength. Right now, you feel, you feel very beat up. You feel very unworthy. Maybe the weight and the guilt and the shame of your sin is heavy this morning. We go back to the first about the salvation. We come, we turn from our sin, we ask for forgiveness, we are cleansed, but we're reminded that we don't show up here once we've got our lives all together. We come here even in our great weakness because we're saying, all glory and all strength that I feel right now, Lord, it is all yours. And then for those who are feeling weak, you're coming and you're saying, my life isn't showing much glory and I'm sure not exhibiting much strength, but Lord, it is all yours anyway. And I'm turning to you and I'm worshiping you and I'm asking you to fill me and to give me the strength I desperately need to honor you. Either way, when we gather, we're gathering to make sure we get everything straight and get everything in order that we remind each other who this is really all about. Don't for a second start studying your Bible so that you can get more knowledge about God because it's so cool to wow people at your small group. Don't start trying to serve here at the church so you can show people how much you love God by how you serve. When you do that, you're being a glory thief. You do it because of the overflow of your heart. You're saying, everything I have is yours, Lord. Use me in in any way that I can. All glory is due your name. Then verse 8 gives us another way that we give him glory. We've talked a lot about singing, but it says, bring an offering. Oh. Before you're like, I knew Ian would have him do something like that. I I knew he brought him in, trying to get a building. He wanted him to, this whole thing is for this verse. I picked what I was preaching. He didn't tell me. But the Lord wants you to understand another way that you make sure that you align yourself, that this isn't about you and it's not about your victory parade, that it's actually about the king When we come together, this church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. It's all his to begin with. Sure, it can't function without it, but trust me, God will find his ways however he wants. When you come, it's more for you getting aligned again. God, all all the money that I have, this is actually not mine. It's yours. And I want to give back to you. I want to give to your work because This whole victorious mission that we're on, that's what my life is now about. I gave my old life up that was all about me. I laid down that life to follow the life of the king. I, I gave up that life so I could be a child of the king, so I could be a soldier in your army, Lord. So when you give, when you give grudgingly, you are saying, God, this is mine and you're lucky to get some, so I'll drop a a few going to say coins in, was it loony? He's loonies! Uh, Maybe a toonie. Is there another one? 
I love that. Looney and Toonie. You're lucky, Lord. Sometimes giving financially is just a great way to get our hearts back in alignment with the real king we serve, and it is not to be money. Never. Money, money is one of those false, worthless gods that will leave you empty every time. Bring an offering, he says. It's a th- this specific offering here is a thanks offering. When you give anything of yours, your time, your talent, your money, you're giving out of thankfulness and come into his courts. Again, plural, we are coming into his courts. When you are here on a Sunday, you are not just filling a spot. You are not just a number in a head count. You are showing the glory of God because when you gather in this parade, you're coming here admitting that your life is not about you and you need him. Just your sitting here right now, I want you to understand, God is here. He is watching. In fact, the invisible world is here watching. There are angels. There are demonic forces. And the angels are saying, this is beautiful. Do you see all these people here for the king? We've been longing for this for all of eternity. Like All the way from creation, we've been longing for this. And all of the evil forces, when you actually celebrate the king, they shudder because they realize that the victory has been won. Whether you fill up a Keurig cup, whether you work with children, whether you put up a banner, whether you're in here singing, when it's done rightly, all of it is one amazing celebration of the king. We worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We <coughs> tremble before him, all the earth. Listen, this... This is a reminder this, that we don't just worship however we want. Our God is our Father, and that's a beautiful thing, but that doesn't give us liberty to just treat Him however we want. He's not our homie. The splendor of holiness could be literally translated holy attire, and that was a metaphor used, not for what you're literally wearing, but it's saying you need to get your, you need to get your right clothing on in your heart. You need to look inside your life and make sure that you're coming before the king and that you've cleansed yourself before him, that you've allowed the blood of Jesus Christ to continue to wash over you, to forgive you, so that we come with holy attire. You know, one of the things I've loved about uh, being a harvest is that I don't have to wear the the holy cloth tie around my neck. In my past, I was in some very, you know, uh, more conservative churches, and you had to get all dressed up. But you know what's interesting is I found that more people I talk to where we kind of dress more casually to come to church, we can almost begin to um, get prideful about that. Like, yeah, we just kind of come as we are, and we can dress however to come to the Lord. You know, I can wear flip-flops to church, and it's awesome. And then begin to look down on people who dress up as if somehow that's not godly. But you know, we can end up in two different ditches that are both equally as dangerous. Because if you come dressed up here, that's awesome. I hope some of you come dressed up. If that's your thing, wear a suit, wear a tie. Some of you want to dress down, great, dress down. But if you think for a second that the way that you're dressing is making God more or less pleased with you, you've missed it. Dress how you want on the outside, but you make sure that the dress code of your heart is being attended to day by day, that you are treating this coming before the Lord, not only privately, but here publicly together for what it is. You see, there needs to be a priority of coming and worshiping together with one another. It can be a lot of things. One of them is 
Some of you haven't actually spent time looking at your heart, haven't spent time praying or anything until you got to church this morning. Why don't you start thinking about some of that throughout the week? Why aren't you praying on Saturday night? Why aren't you thinking about that Sunday morning? Why aren't you saying, Lord, prepare me. I'm coming, I'm coming with the people of God to celebrate in the parade, and I want my heart to be right. I want to be cleansed. I want to ask for forgiveness. I want to turn from sin, right? Sometimes it's the simple things. If this is really, maybe some of you haven't bought in yet, but if this is really a gathering, a parade for the king, I have a hard time believing if you could see the risen Lord and we said we're actually going to get out on this street and we are going to march before him and Jesus is going to come out of the clouds. He will come down and we're going to march. Oh, by the way, that is going to happen one day. And we're going to go and we're going to move forward and we're going to start telling everyone up and down the street, you've got to hear about our king. You've got to see him. He's incredible. He's awesome. He's lovely. Like you're just... I have a hard time thinking any of you might just kind of stroll in here whenever you could get here. I think you would be having a hard time sleeping. And you would be getting everything ready in your heart. You would have the kids ready, get up earlier, whatever, because you would want to get here. Mark told me that the first couple songs that he sings on Sunday mornings are actually just fillers. Um, they're just like... Right? Is that what you were saying? It's just filler? Just elevator music till people got here. Some of you are like, don't beat me up over being late. Listen, I have a problem with being late. But the people here are working really hard, your brothers and sisters, to lead you in worship to the king. Right, Mark? I just want to encourage you even physically what you are showing your children, what you're showing your brothers and sisters here, why don't you show up and start praying together and and confessing and getting ready because the parade's about to start. So that the first beat of the first instrument, you are ready to blow the roof off this place because the king is actually here. He is. That's not metaphorical. He is here. And then it moves to the climax in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He reigns. And it's like, uh, yes, the world's established. It'll never be moved. He's going to come and judge in equity. Listen, in the U.S., we got a lot of problems. In fact, in just a couple of weeks that I've been gone, it just feels like the wheels are falling apart, but not just in the U.S., not just in Texas, but around our world. Any of you look around and say, this is a little troubling. In fact, I don't know about this verse, that the world's established, it won't be moved. looks like it's moving all over the place. Britain left Europe. There's a full Brexit. Well, let me tell you, there's about to be a Texit as well. That's for another time. Have you seen the people we have running for president in the U.S.? That's also another time. <laughs> the thing that grieves my heart is our king is a king for the nations. Every man, woman, child, slave, free man, black, white, anything else. And when I see the, the racial injustice and the things going on where I call home, it breaks my heart. When I see people being murdered by Islamic terrorists, it breaks my heart. 
yes, there's a lot of horrible things going, and it looks like everything is in a tailspin, but what you need to understand is ultimately our God reigns, and his plan will come to fruition. It will work itself out, so you and I must fight for the king because he is the one that wins, and we stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ, and even when it looks like everything has fallen out, you and I are committed that it is in the hand of God, and he will not be stopped. last section here let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice let the sea roar and all that fills it let the fields exult and everything in it then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes for he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness listen three times here in just a few verses we've had the fact that God judges and I'm telling you I look around our world and I'm thinking I really really wish we could get some equity some justice some fairness because our world is just an absolute mess and understand this he is coming the king is coming and he will judge fairly every right will be made wrong but you and I are not the people that jump up and down saying give me what I deserve give me what I deserve you and I are the people who say praise God for not giving what I deserve praise God that when he judges in righteousness he will look at me as his child clothed in the righteousness of Christ that when he comes yes finally all of the injustice going on in our land it will be overturned but we need to make sure that we are made right with God through the righteousness of Christ but here's what is so beautiful this repetition for he comes for he comes our Lord Jesus is coming again and when he descends there will not just be a spiritual victory that we live in now there will be physical and spiritual victory everything will be made new and I'm going to invite our worship, the worship team to come forward right now because here's something really cool in this last part. When he comes, when he comes, he will not only judge perfectly, but Paul tells us in Romans that the entire world, even the creation, knows and groans that it has been cursed and it's fallen. But one day when the king comes again, we will march forward in this parade. And it will not just be you and me, our brothers and sisters from Harvest Durham and Harvest Austin. It will, be our, it will be our family from all over the world, those who have gone before us, those who may come after us. We will all gather and we will all begin to march and we will all begin to sing, worthy is the Lamb. He reigns, He reigns. But it actually says here that all of creation will be our choir. You see that? The heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, the seas roar, all that fills it. The fields are exulting. The trees for the forest are doing what? Singing for joy. Brothers and sisters, if the trees get it, we should get it. If the seas get it, we should get it. Our king reigns. Our king is glorious. Our king deserves all of our praise. And right now, our king is here. He's here. And I hope that your heart is overflowing and wants like, could you just be quiet and let me sing? Because that's what we're going to do right now. And I'm going to invite you to stand. And I want you to realize we're a parade. 
and we're speaking of the truth of our king who was falling in line. So to the nations, to all of us here, sing out to the king.